on today's episode, The Importance of Patience. Welcome to the podcast, helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence-based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete, creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy battler. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. Welcome back, guys. I have a um, plasterer fixing my ceiling in the garage next door, so hopefully um, you don't have too much disruption with the the audio quality, but today we're doing something a little bit different. I have organized, um, it was actually like a bit of a, an idea bubble that sort of arose a couple of weeks ago when trying to create ideas for future topics. And I'm thinking it'd be like the success stories. People are just really enjoying those asking for more. And I'm just thinking to myself, how can I get more of that experience or, um, PHT sufferers, their experience onto the podcast. I just thought to myself, like I see people with PHT all the time. (laughs) I talk about this all the time as an online physio and now slowly blending into an in-person physio. Um, About 70% of my caseload is PHT clients. And so I thought I would just ask a fair few of my current and previous clients, what has been some of their insights? Um, What has um, helped them with their management? Is there something that they may that was maybe unexpected that really worked in their their management and so sent out that message to a bunch and got some great responses and so for the next I think maybe two or three episodes I'll reply uh, I'll read out their responses and also um, kind of elaborate on those similar ideas and themes and so as you know by the title of this episode it's the importance of patience because uh, two PHT clients um, that were, I've chosen for today have replied to my message and I'll read them out now because there's a similar theme nonetheless. And as I've started talking, the plaster is on his power tools. <laughs> um, okay, so client number one. I guess my key takeaway is not a fun one. It's one that I've tried to avoid, but for me, it was unavoidable. Patience. I needed to be patient with my recovery and not start doing too much too soon. I've had other times when my PHT has alleviated only to flare up badly again because I did too much. The other key takeaway is how awful sitting was for me. It was actually worse than running. Now I have a sit-stand desk. I feel like I'm recovering more quickly and ironically able to sit more each week. And moving on to patient number two, who said, I believe the key is to stick to the program. As much as I would love to have jumped ahead, I stuck to the program and have no reoccurring problems. So two very similar themes regarding patience, sticking to the program, um, making sure you don't overdo things as soon as uh, the PhD symptoms are alleviated or improving. And I thought this would be a really nice topic for me to delve into a little bit more. So... The first thing I want to talk about is 
why is it so hard? Why are, it's not just for PhD clients, it's just for, for people in general um, because I not only just hone in on PhD, I work with a whole type of runners and I see this pattern in all types of injuries. And so why is it so hard to be patient? Why is it so hard to stick to the plan? And why do we keep seeing this same pattern happening? So I thought I'd write down some dot points of my just initial reactions. Um, your circumstances could be completely different, but this is just a very common pattern that I've seen and just my initial kind of thoughts around the topic. So why is it so hard to stick to the plan? First of all, it's frustrating being injured. It's extremely frustrating being injured. I've been injured um, many different types of injuries and I can feel that frustration. And when you are forced to limit or completely stop what you love, that can have a big impact and it just um, keeps that frustration kind of building up. And so I work with a lot of runners. They love running. That's all they love doing. And then when they're injured and they have to limit their running or they have to stop running completely, that just builds up a lot of frustration. Um, so running and, and I guess cycling for PHT as well is another big one people want to return back to. So the frustration builds and it leads to um, an exacerbation of injury, uh, exacerbation of symptoms during the injury. So if I'm, if I had to say take two or three days off running and then try and let symptoms settle, like no, you definitely not encounter marked improvement in those two or three days, but you just get quite antsy, you get quite um, agitated because you haven't run in two or three days and all of a sudden you're just like, screw it, let me just go for a run and then symptoms increase. And it's just that build up of frustration. Um, that happens sometimes, but during the injury that can happen, but I find that pain is a big motivator for how people do a lot of things. And so in most cases, when people are in pain, that two a day, the, the two or three days of not running and building up that frustration, because the pain is still there, it's still a big motivator to keep people away from exacerbating symptoms. They're, they're more likely to do the sensible things while they're in pain. And, um, they kind of hold back on the reins because like I said, that pain, pain symptoms are such a, a big motivator. However, um, once progress is made in your rehab, those reins tend to disappear. And you think finally, you're like, I'm, I'm out of pain. Let's try and make up for all the time that I've lost. It's gone away. I'm feeling great. And there's just this, um, like I said, disappearance of those reins and away you go. And because that frustration has built up over such a long period of time, you're more, you're more likely just to be like, finally, and just do way too much, way too soon. Because as soon as you feel great, that's what you want to do. It's the buildup of the frustration and it's the, the wanting just to get back into it and really start making gains again. And that's obviously not going to be the best thing for your PhD is to have a, a massive spike in load that you haven't done in such a long period of time. That goes back to our very foundation principles of just doing too much too soon or spiking the demands beyond its capacity. And so this is why you see these comments, like I mentioned before, trust the process. Once you do start noticing an improvement in symptoms and um, improvement in your rehab, still trust the process. Don't just throw the process out the window and hit the accelerator. And with 
the other comments were just like, once my PHT was alleviated, um, there was just a, a bad, it led to another bad flare up because I just did too much too soon. That's, uh, I guess these two comments from these two clients, one was see, reaping the rewards of keeping the reins in check. And the other was the, the detriment of throwing the management plan out the window and letting go of the reins. And so that's, uh, that's, I guess, my initial thoughts on why it's so hard to be patient, why it's so hard to follow the process. And like I said, they're just my initial thoughts. Your, your experience could be extremely different, but um, it's also important to know expectations as well. I've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast, but looking into the literature and especially the literature that contains expert opinions of people who have worked with chronic tendinopathies or worked with PHT for a long period of time, their timeframes, their healing timeframes is once good management starts, and that could be debatable what that actually is because you might think that I've been doing my rehab and it's not getting any better, but good effective rehab might not be what's implemented. But anyway, once good management starts, if you have chronic a chronic tendinopathy, most people, uh, the timeframes that most people refer to is six to 12 months, six to 12 months of good rehab before you start to notice, once you start to get into recovery. Now, in those first six months, you should notice a steady improvement in your symptoms, but it's not, you're not back to say pain-free pre-injury capacities until that six to 12 months. Sometimes it takes longer especially once you're dealing with something that's a lot more chronic, less mechanical and more to do with the biopsychosocial aspects of pain because that's just another challenge in itself. But um, it's important that we know these these expectations. It's important that we know the um, we come to expect flare-ups, which I think I'll, I'll talk about. It's got one of my dot points later on. But the next step in this, I guess, this topic is some practical tips because now we understand why it's so hard to follow the process, why that builds up a frustration and just wanting to get back out there. That urge is just so great that it can be to our detriment more often than not, especially if you have PHT and you're struggling to return back to symptom-free exercise. But some practical tips, I have a, a bit of a list here. One, a management plan is key and that can be you trying to do it yourself or you getting a good um, a coach or a health professional or a physiotherapist or someone who's just a part of your rehab team that can write down this management plan for you. And I say write it down because writing it down is so much better than just trying to follow something in your head because when you write it down on paper, each step of the management plan should make sense. You would say, okay, Phase one, step one is what I know I can tolerate. It might be 30 minutes of walking. It might be five minutes of sitting. It might be deadlifts, three sets of 10, 15 kilograms or like 25 pounds or something. These are dosages that you know you can currently tolerate based on symptoms. I've got a ton of episodes for guidance on that um, earlier in this podcast. However, um, when you start writing these things down and say, okay, what's my next step? My next step is to make these incremental gains that progress them minutely so that 
I know that I c- if I can tolerate phase one, then I can definitely give phase two a go because it's not too much of a jump. And then you just work your way through that management plan, work your way through those process goals and it being either capacity driven, like a going for a run or a bike ride. It could be strength driven. So your rehab goals, um, but they should all make sense from phase three to phase four should just be at the next incremental step. It should make sense. It shouldn't be a big jump. It, sh- it should just um, be sensible. And if you're not too sure what that looks like, that's why health professionals exist to write down that management plan for you. Um, and so, like I said, there should be gradual steps and you can progress through those gradual steps, either time dependent or symptom dependent and or both. Like you wouldn't pro let's just say if you had strength goals and you said, okay, squats, um, let's go from three sets of 10, 20 kilograms to three sets of 10, 25 kilograms, that's the next step, the next rung on that ladder. It could be time dependent, say every two weeks, this is when I'm going to progress my phases. Or if I do one phase and symptoms are totally fine, symptoms are under control, they return to baseline, everything's good as gold, then I can progress to the next phase. So time dependent or symptom dependent. But you also don't, if it is time dependent, and you're really struggling and symptoms are increasing during a particular phase, even if the time, even if the two weeks has gone by, you don't want to progress because you're not too sure um, at this current level if you can manage those dosages. So that's why I kind of like a bit of a guideline. Um, I know if I don't have something that's time dependent, people might stay too long in a particular phase, even though symptoms are responding quite well. So it's good to have kind of a blend of the two. Um, so when things feel really good, you just move to the next logical step that's written down on your management plan. You don't go five steps ahead or five phases ahead. No, we trust the process. We don't get ahead of ourselves and we just go to the next rung on that rehab ladder. We just go to the next phase of that management plan. And if you encounter a flare up, you, you don't progress through that management plan. And based on the severity of that flare up, you can choose to either stay at that phase or go back one phase. And it's okay to go back one step. We, we know through your management plan, we've laid down these expectations and we know that flare-ups can be a part of a management plan. Um, flare-ups are actually expected because we're challenging the tendon with certain different variables and we just want to flirt around with what the, the tendon can tolerate. But if it is a flare-up, we know that it's not going to be exacerbated too much because we've only made one little logical step in the rehab ladder. So it might be flared up for say 24 hours. And we know that it will return to baseline relatively quickly. We'll learn where your limitations are and then we'll make our sensible adjustments accordingly. So when things settle, then you can just continue that management plan. We trust the process. And this keeps the reins on. When things start feeling better, we don't throw the reins out the window and hit the accelerator. We just keep the reins and we say, what's our next step? We trust that process, time dependent, symptom dependent, and um, keeping things in control. And like I said, requires patience. It's the why we've got it, um, trusting the process and the, the importance of patience as the title of the episode. And I want to finish off with some key takeaways and some examples, what this might actually look like. So we'll delve into that now. Okay, some examples of a management plan. Um, I'll actually maybe just pull up one of my clients and just 
talk through what I have in store. And um, this is very similar for most of my clients, particularly my running clients. And I'll adjust the the dosages dependent to those. But um, nonetheless, with a return to run program, I have different phases and people work their way through those phases of a walk run program based on symptoms. So I have one in front of me. So phase two, um, session one would be 12 rounds of running for one minute, walking for two minutes. And so all in all, that's 12 minutes of running. That is like a the session itself would probably be around about, I know, 35, 40 minutes. But um, yeah, broken up with a lot of walking. And then phase two is the same dosages of r- r- one minute running, two minutes walking, but they're doing it 15 times. So before it was 12, this time it's 15. And the next one, we're actually reducing the, ar- the rounds to 10 minutes. Uh, so 10 rounds and doing two minutes of running, two minutes of walking. So the previous step was one minute of running, two minutes walking. Now we've increased to two minutes running, two minutes walking 10 times. So in all, we've actually gone from 15 minutes of running to 20 minutes of running, but it's just that next step, that next step in that rehab ladder. And so that's a part of phase two. I have phase one, which is a lot easier. I have phase three, which is a lot harder. By the end of phase three, there's 10 rounds of running for six minutes, walking for one minute. So still mixed in with some run walks for this particular client, uh, but all in all that is 60 minutes of running. One symptoms allowed us going to that next rung of the ladder and just working the way down. But also with this client, I have particular strength and conditioning phases. So phase one, I guess all the exercises included box jumps, side lunges, inclines, single leg calf raises, bent knee calf raises, straight leg calf raises, BOSU ball balancing. Um, I've just pulled up this random one of my clients is randomly, and it's not actually for PHT, <laughs> but these are the exercises that I have. So yours might look like squats, deadlifts, uh, weighted step-ups, uh, some Nordic hip dips, um, these particular, or bridges, some sort of bridge variation, maybe single leg bridges on a step. And so phase one will have a particular set of dosages, three sets of 10, lighter weights, um, lighter progressions in the exercise, And then once you're tolerating all of those, we can then progress to phase two. So phase two might look a little bit um, trickier. So for this client in particular, uh, the box jumps, the the height of the box increases. For the side lunges, we now add some weights for the side lunges. Um, For bent knee and straight leg calf raises, we're increasing the weights slightly. And for the BOSU balance, so it's single leg on a BOSU ball trying to balance, we're then adding a TheraBand around the knees and doing some hip abductions. So passing the leg out to the side. And so we're either progressing the weights, making the the exercise more challenging uh, or increasing the reps or time duration. So then we just move to phase two, which is just this logical step. And then once you've progressed all of those, symptoms are feeling fine during the strength and conditioning sessions, we then go to phase three. And so... For this client in particular, these return to run uh, plans. So they're running every, I think running about three times a week. 
and doing strength and conditioning about two or three times a week. So we can pay attention. They're not combined with and sandwiched within one day. So we know that if we increase the running and symptoms are fine within 24 hours, we've negotiated that. And if strength and conditioning, um, if symptoms return to acceptable levels, we know they've tolerated that because those variables are completely separate throughout the week. We don't want to combine the two. We don't want to progress the running and progress the strength and conditioning at the same time on the same day. And then the next day there's a flare up and we're like, okay, where did we go wrong? We're not too sure. So trusting the process, I've written down some particular pain rules for this person and they're just working their way through that management plan and reaping the rewards. So that's an example of what a run, uh, a walk run program might look like. That's an example of what some strength programs might look like, but it all depends on tailored, um, individual tailored plan, which is why it's so important to have a health professional on your team to work at your specific circumstances. Um, and like I said, they can work alongside each other, not on the same day, but in the same week, just progressing as symptoms allow. Final takeaways that I have, um, or a couple of like helpful reminders. The first one I have written down, if you stick to the plan and over time it isn't working, then change it. I have seen some people say, yep, I stick to my management plan, um, progressing very slowly. Um, after a couple of months, they're really not getting anywhere, but they still have a plan, but they're just not making the gains they're expecting. Change it. Either the the exercises aren't challenging enough, either you're they may be too challenging. Maybe you're trying to still persist with running when just low amounts of running just isn't tolerate. You're not tolerating any low amounts of running at this stage. A whole bunch of variables could be in play. Maybe it's misdiagnosed as a, um, maybe there's something just a, a missing piece of the puzzle or a weak link in your rehab that you're just not addressing. If you're sticking to the plan methodically and you're doing it responsibly and sensibly and it's not working, change the management plan. Give it a good couple of weeks to see if it is working, but if symptoms aren't changing, then you need to change the plan. Once you feel better, rehab does not stop. You're still you're still in your rehab. As soon as you have a pain-free run, as soon as you have a pain-free strength and conditioning session, rehab does not stop. You just keep continue following the plan. Once you're back to pre-injury status, once you're back to pain-free running at the levels you want, rehab still does not stop. You still make sure that you're progressing your strength. You still make sure that you're working on your weak links. You still want to make sure you're introducing power, plyometrics, something that's a lot more functional, something that's a lot more specific to your demands just to reduce the risk of a flare-up in the future. Um, accept that flare-ups are a part of the game. Accept that... You may be challenged in a certain way. You might progress your squats or deadlifts slightly and symptoms might increase. You might increase your levels of running and symptoms might increase. They, that's just a part of the game. Flare-ups are a part of the game. We want to make sure we control the flare-ups as much as we can. We'll make sure that if there is a flare-up, then it's extremely minor and it settles relatively quickly. But we learn more from that process. We learn more about ourselves, our capacity, and then we make those adjustments accordingly. Which takes me to the next point. Embrace the, the two steps forward and don't dwell on the one step back. I've said that a couple of times in the past, but it's really important to, to mention that because a lot of people make two steps forward in their management, 
and then they have a flare up and take one step back and they're like, oh, this isn't working. This is over. Maybe I shouldn't be running. Um, I don't know what's wrong, but have a look back. This is why we have this plan written down and this is why we can see your progress. That way we can actually visualize and see your two steps forward so that we don't just dwell on the one step back. I think that's a really important message to finish with. And we're going to finish up there. So hope you enjoyed. We're going to look at some more client insights next episode. I actually haven't read the the next client insights. I kind of um, do this on the fly on the day and then start writing down my initial thoughts. So um, I look forward to seeing what those are and bring it to you next time. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power.